1: And thanks again for listening to the Explaining History podcast. Um, welcome. And today I, I'm going to talk a, a bit about how, by 1918, new technologies on the battlefield had broken the the deadlock and the stalemate of the Western Front. And instead of going from a a war of fixed position that we'd had since between 1914 to 1917... All of a sudden, dramatic changes um, from the Ludendorff Offensive to the 100 Days um, Offensive Elastically swinging in either direction were the the kind of the, the, the main theme of, of the year uh, nineteen eighteen, uh, and the reason for this is battlefield innovation in technology and and tactics. So the build up of new approaches to the battlefield and new approaches to fighting finally manifest themselves in this one radical year of warfare. Um, And it could be argued that what was learned in 1918 becomes the model for uh, Hitler's offensive in the West in 1940. So today I'm going to read from uh, David Stevenson's uh, With Our Backs to the Wall, uh, as we've been looking at recently. Um, And his contention is that the, the innovators of the war really are the central powers, but it is the Allied powers that learn the lessons from the Central Powers more successfully um, a- and employ them finally with greater, um, uh, greater effect. Um, by Central Powers, he argues that ultimately he means Germany, uh, and it is Austria, Hungary, that become the imitators of Germany too. Um, he states... The German revolution in tactics dated back to 1915-16 to 16 when Müller uh, began his artillery experiments on the Eastern Front and storm troop formations were introduced in the West. It reached its maturity in 1917 with the battles of Riga and Caporetto and the Combray counterattack. In its usual fashion, the OHL, um, the German um, High Command, um, analysed these successes and built on them. It placed the commanders, um, the chiefs of general staff, the artillery directors responsible for them, in the leading positions for Operation Michael, one of the various phases of the Ludendorff Offensive. Um, Confidence uh, in the new procedures encouraged the OHL to gamble on an all-out assault rather than explore a compromised peace. It would take the offensive, but not the same way um, as its uh, enemies'. So this is interesting. So the, the the structure of the the German General Staff, um, which had existed for a century, um, really the the product of a uh, the of um, Prussia's defeat at Jena-Auerstadt uh, in eighteen o six, and the crisis that that of of um, belief that that forced upon the the Prussian military machine. Created the the general staff, and the general staff became uh, almost a kind of a quasi scientific body in the in researching the uh, effectiveness um, of troop formations and technology in warfare. What the the general staff were um, skilled in doing was applying lessons um, and applying um, innovations. On a wider scale, and so you have this happening throughout World War One, uh, from 1915-16 onwards. Um, the the general staff are able far more effectively to look at what is working. Obviously, you have the principle of Blücher's tactic, which meant that the um, field commander would be able to have uh, latitude on the ground, be able to have um, a degree. Of interpretation in how they approach tactical problems, uh, and they, um, the overall uh, objectives were far for, well, were fixed, but the, the way in which they were achieved could have uh, flexibility. Um, the um, problem that the Germans have, uh, as it is pointed out here, is that the new procedures bring about such a degree of confidence that it encourages particularly Ludendorff to have um, a a, a gamble uh, in the spring of 1918 rather than uh, explore a compromise peace. So by the spring of of 1918, Germany is facing exhaustion. It's quite clear there are only so many months uh, of um, fight left in Germany and a war needs to be won quickly before there's a major American troop build-up in the West. And if the war can't be won um, quickly, then a compromise uh, piece has to be sought. But the uh, the belief is that one final push, based on new battlefield technology and innovation, can do the trick. So, the whole um, thrust of the Ludendorff Offensive particularly was about clawing back the element of surprise. Um, so there were long preparatory periods um, where, um, there, where there were was, was sort of major troop build-ups. Um, and the result of these long uh, preparatory periods was surprise um, when the, uh, on the 21st of March the Germans smash through British lines Um, they repeat this on the uh, 9th of April against the the Portuguese army uh, and on the uh, 27th of May uh, against the French this is possible through um, not only major troop build-ups done in secret but also uh, detailed reconnaissance um, building new railway infrastructure Um, and new camouflage, being able to camouflage guns uh, against um, Allied spotter planes. Um, The um, ranging shots um, were fired um, over March and April in order to gauge how far to uh, launch major artillery barrages, Um, and... Once this had been engaged, then ranging shots were um, dispensed with and massive bombardments um, could begin. Um, In the beginning of the the Ludendorff Offensive, in a number of of hours, um, the German army was able to fire as many shells as were fired um, during uh, day-long attacks, day-long barrages, during the Somme or the Third Battle of Ypres. Um, I think there is a quote by Churchill when he was on the Western Front saying that he saw the, the most terrific barrage um, of his life that lit up the entire skies, and it was like this vast, long, ripping noise. Um, this was at the start of um, the Ludendorff Offensive. And it would appear more and more that um, the the Ludendorff Offensive particularly uh, was based on the assumption of uh, highly specialised and uh, precise uh, artillery um, that would basically tear a hole in the um, defensive structures of the Allied lines and would be used in the same way, really, that aircraft are used uh, during the, uh, the blitzkrieg to punch a hole uh, in the line. Um, using uh, sort of uh, counter-battery fire, so to um, wait for the Allies to, to fire back and then pinpoint uh, using ranging techniques, sound ranging and other techniques, where their artillery pieces were, uh, and eliminate them, sometimes through artillery, sometimes through poison gas, was another key technique that meant that the um, when the infantry attack begins to, to move, that it uh, is able to break through uh, the British lines, and then later the French. Following that, Germany employed a, a rolling barrage, a firewall, or Feuerbachs, um that would land shells just in front of the advancing troops to give them a screen of, uh, of protection from um, allied uh, machine gun fire um, and would force the enemy to retreat in front of the advancing infantry. It was hoped that using artillery in this way could help diminish losses and could prevent um, the exhaustion of manpower. Of course, there'd been a huge influx of troops from the Eastern Front to the West, following um, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, and the um, uh, Ludendorff thought that it would be possible to filter out um, the uh, the best, the fittest men, who could be trained, rested, well-fed, um, but then could be used in um, to, to far far more effectively. Um, could be protected by the barrages, the um, the Feuerwald, um, and could um uh, be used as the kind of the 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 shock troops the reality is of course is that um after the ludendorff offensive a huge number of these fresh new troops um are uh, dist- are gone they have they they take the most difficult jobs of of storming allied positions um and sometimes really kind of suicide missions uh, and so um, Ludendorff doesn't preserve his prize uh, uh, prize divisions. Um, they are uh, kind of expended in this, this last gasp for victory. There were those in um, the German general staff that thought that um, simply pouring more and more blood into the equation wasn't going to be useful, and that it would be essential to call off any victory any, um, Uh, Offensives that get bogged down. However, this is not what occurs. Um, So David Stevenson writes, Nonetheless, the attack divisions must surge ahead without relief until they reach exhaustion, in order to keep up momentum at all costs. Uh, Gaia, one of the um, uh, general staff, saw the most difficult task as not the break-in, but fighting through the enemy main defences beyond the German artillery range, in search of breakthrough before the Allies brought up reserves. Certainly the German guns must hasten forward, but the infantry should also carry their own firepower in the shape of light machine guns, flamethrowers, rifle grenades and portable 77mm field artillery, as they sort out the axes of least resistance and left squads behind to overwhelm the enveloped enemy strongpoints and machine guns, which it was understood um, the preliminary bombardment would would not quite suppress. So, these um, storm detachments um, were there to throw themselves uh, against uh, enemy machine gun nests, enemy fortifications, with um, grenades, flamethrowers... Uh, in order to finally smash through Allied resistance, but out of the range of artillery. And there is um, here is where the operation, I think, falls apart, because it's a race against time. You've got to break through in such a a sufficient way that the reserves can come up before Allied reserves pour in and um, uh, present an, an overwhelming obstacle to the shock troops. David Stevenson adds, It proved a mechanism for the speedy destruction of the flower of the German army in an enterprise prejudiced from the outset by a lack of lorries, petrol, horses, and fodder needed to sustain mobility. And nonetheless, just as Bruckmuller adhered to his artillery system, so Ludendorff commented in memoranda of 17th April um, and 9th of June that the attack procedure had been vindicated, indeed by the success of Blücher, uh, one of the Brandt strands of the um, Ludendorff Offensive, uh, more than ever. So this lack of um, transport, this lack of mobility from uh, the rear, is what means that um, the uh, these um, shock troops, uh, designed to infiltrate and smash through lines, wind up uh, running out of steam, to some extent becoming stranded uh, and having to kind of fight really on their own initiative and stamina, which are things, unfortunately, that in any combat situation wear down over time. So in order for the war to be won, all the Allies needed to do was to break the Ludendorff offensive. They needed to thwart this tactic. And then as a result the the last energy of the german army would be gone they, the the last um uh, manpower uh, of the german army would be broken um in addition they needed to deal with um answer to the defensive tactics that the uh, german army had adopted before 1918 as the uh, allied powers would then spring forward in, in an elastic uh, Offensive. The German army would be uh, fighting its last campaign of the war with demoralised soldiers and having to find uh, improvised positions to uh, defend from. But ultimately, um, it would still be, uh, as is seen, a formidable opponent, and it's only the decision by uh, General Wilhelm Groener. Um in the last week of the war, to finally throw in the town um owing to the fact that there has a revolution has begun back home, and it's the the, the German working class that finally decide matters um It's only that decision that prevents the German army from making uh, one last stand uh to prevent an invasion of germany um and it would have been a formidable last stand. No doubt, so as we can see, um, surprise was the key to the Ludendorff offensive um, and the surprise had been incredi- surprise had been incredibly incredibly difficult to maintain throughout the previous four years and even when both sides made their best attempts at uh, deception tactics, diversion tactics misdirection, all the rest of it. Um, the development of uh, intelligence on both sides meant that it became increasingly clear that um, wrong footing the enemy was very, very difficult. For example, Britain's um, build up on the Somme, um, the uh, movement of troops, the building of railway lines, the moving of uh, artillery, and um, the digging of uh, new um, defensive. Uh, formations. This was uh, the, the British attempted to do much of this in secrecy, but they failed to do so. Uh, German spotter planes saw exactly what was going on, and the German army built concrete bunkers several metres deep uh, as a result, and largely negated the, the uh, devastating uh, uh, British uh, artillery barrage on the first day of, of the Somme. So intelligence during the First World War was a, a kind of a key aspect uh, of the both the, the Central Powers and the Allied Powers uh, campaigns. Um, David Stevenson writes, The 1918 campaigning presented different intelligence challenges from the static phase of the war, in some ways harking back to the fluidity of its opening weeks. Between 1915 and 1917, both sides had found it singularly difficult to take their enemies unawares. Intercepted Allied telephone messages forewarned the Germans uh, of French offensives in the May and September 1915 and of British attacks during the Battle of the Somme. At Verdun in 1916, the French gathered some days in advance that an attack was coming, if not its strength and precise date. In 1917, the Germans had abundant foreknowledge of the Nivelle Offensive and the Third Battle of Ypres. But by the end of that year, the pattern was changing. At La Marmaison, the French realised that the Germans had gained foreknowledge, but anticipated them uh, by advancing the start of the bombardment. And, the Cambrai, uh, and at Cambrai, both the British attack and the German counter-attack achieved surprise, So by the beginnings of, um, by late 1917 and by the beginnings of 1918, it was clear that something was shifting in the intelligence war. The ability to create uh, phantom armies, to move divisions to places, giving an impression of attacks coming from uh, other directions. Um, The uh, focus that the Allies gradually had on uh, communication security, uh, securing telephone lines, that kind of thing, Um, and the ability to actually gauge intelligence on the front line uh, from prisoners, uh, deserters, from captured documents uh, when trenches were overrun, and from a uh, simple observation through the king through uh, uh trench periscopes and, uh, and that kind of thing um this was combined with new technologies such as sound ranging the ability to see um where a, a an artillery piece was based on um its uh, the, the echo of its gunfire um and uh from uh, flash spotting, the um, ability to gauge how uh, far away uh, and in what direction a gun was uh, based on its muzzle flash. Um, the This was crucial in being able to kind of um, hit enemy artillery in targeted barrages. Um, aerial observation uh, improved. Um, originally, aircraft were had a, a, a uh, an espionage or an intelligence gathering purpose um, and by 1918 there are huge aerial battles being fought over the trenches in order to prevent uh, spotter planes from taking uh, photographs and the quality of photography improves throughout the war and then there was um, the development in signals intelligence uh, decrypting radio traffic And decrypting um, telegraph and telephone messages by 1918 has become uh, quite an art form, quite a science. And finally, there was uh, human intelligence or actual espionage gathered from agents and informants uh, behind enemy lines. Um, uh, The um, the 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 latter obviously being a kind of a very hit and miss uh, affair. Contrary to um, what one might think, uh, the British uh, were not completely um, behind the, the game in intelligence terms. Uh, before the Ludendorff Offensive, um, Haig's um, uh, General HQ and also the Directorate of Military Intelligence uh, at the War Office um, was uh, able able to point out in 1917 that a a numerical balance was shifting on the Western Front, that units were being moved uh, from the Eastern Front um, to the West and that that a a build-up was likely. And the reason why they were able to observe this or why this was happening from uh, late 1917 onwards was because the German army was clearly responding to the threat posed by uh, an American uh, build-up. Um, So British and French uh, intelligence um, was able to track the movements of new German divisions and they were able to um, track the movements of specific German divisional commanders to which they attached a great significance when particular um, generals and officers were were moved to the Western Front. They knew it had a, a, a deep significance. Um, this helped them to anticipate uh, particular uh, attacks um, on the Western Front in early 1918, um, and start dates of attacks were sometimes acquired from prisoners and deserters, German soldiers that simply walked away because they'd had enough and thought possibly they, they might have a better chance of survival and being fed properly in captivity. Um Only in the last two days um, was the attack known uh, to be imminent, writes uh, David Stevenson. Uh, uh, Even then, it was expected to hit um, General Bing's 3rd Army and the northern part of Gough's 5th Army sector. Um, The assault south of Saint-Quentin, where Gough had only recently taken over the French lines, lines came as a very unpleasant shock. Haig had expected a slower and more methodical enemy progress, and possibly a follow-on attack further north, where he'd stationed most of his meagre reserves. Meanwhile, Patton's uh, GHQ feared a German attack in Champagne, and continued to do so for several days after the 21st of March, although in fact no such attack was in preparation. So, as we can see from that, human intelligence and signals intelligence and uh, intelligence uh, analysis gave A reasonably precise picture, but there were always uh, shortcomings uh, and things that um, the British didn't quite know. So we're going to continue with looking at the development of warfare uh, on the Western Front, how technology, uh, logistics uh, and intelligence and aviation uh, transformed war, and how it broke the stalemate, how it broke the war of position into back into a war of movement by late 1918. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50